Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't be jealous for nothing. If you're insecure, you need to figure out what's wrong with you. You need to deal with yourself. I do know some people that are just insecure for nothing. No one's ever cheated on them. There's no just cause for the suspicions and whatnot. And um, if that's you, you really need to take that before the Lord and say, God, what's wrong with me? Why do I behave in that way? That doesn't honor you and it torments my spouse. Unduly, unfair. What an uncomfortable marriage to be in with someone that's always accusing you of doing something you didn't do. Don't you wish you could have a simple list of do's and don'ts, yes and no's? When it comes to marriage, there are certain things that you just don't do. But in today's message, Pastor Bill encourages you to not succumb to the culture around you, which approves of walking out of a marriage commitment when you decide you're unhappy. By not doing this, you become countercultural to the world around you. But what matters most is that you remain faithful to your spouse and to God. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Confession is agreeing with God about what I've done. When I confess to God and I say, God, I'm sorry I did this thing right here. It's a sin. It was wrong. Right? Confession is coming into agreement. God, I agree with you that what I've done was wrong. I admitted that I did it. Now I'm confessing and I'm agreeing with God that what I did was wrong. And so in, in your life, because we all hear sin, everybody hears sins. Everybody sin? Yes? Raise your hand if you sin. Raise two hands if you sin a lot. Okay. We all sin. So we all need this. We, you're going to need this today. You're going to need it tomorrow. You need it the rest of your life until you get to heaven and get your new body. You're going to need this information. When you mess up, when you sin, the shortest route to getting right with God is to acknowledge what you've done is wrong and confess it. Come into agreement with God. When you confess your sins to God, let me tell you this. Since God knows everything anyway, right? Don't pray. Don't tell God. Lord, I'm sorry about everything I did yesterday, anything I may have done. That's, that's, not, that's not confession. That's just, that's just random blanket babbling prayer. You need to be specific. You'll be amazed the effect it has on you when you be specific. God, I'm sorry that I told that lie. You convicted me, told me not to do it, and I did it anyway. I told that lie. I know it was wrong when I told that person that thing. God, forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me for saying what you did. Say it to God. Confess it. Agree with him that it's a sin. You'll be amazed at the impact that I have. You, don't want, you won't want to do it again. You'll think about that next time. So you acknowledge it. You confess it. Then it says in, in verse 7, he shall make restitution. You make it right. So you acknowledge your sin. You confess your sin. And then you make restitution. You, you, you make it right. You make right. Uh, you, if you can make it right, you make it right. And so the same is true in dealing with people. Um, I need to be aware of what my sins are. I want to confess what they are. And if it's possible to make it right, I want to make it right. I want to just leave things out there all messed up with people. So if there's a way for me to make it right, I want to try to do that. Um, so and, and you all, all here can consider things that maybe you've done. Maybe you're sitting here listening and God has you here because you have sinned against somebody and you know exactly what you've done and you know that it was wrong. And you know that you should make it right, make it right. Agree with God, acknowledge what you've done, confess it to God, and then go make it right. However, whatever that means. Whatever you have to do to make it right, you want to go make it right. So it's important to God that before they move on into what he has next, that they get right with one another. Look at verses 8 through 10. 8 through 10, it says, but 
If the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest. In addition to the ram of the atonement with which atonement is made for him, every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. And every man's holy thing shall be his. Whatever any man gives the priest shall be his. Now, this is interesting here. In case someone thought they were off the hook. Let's say the person that you realized you wronged and you wanted to make it right and you realized now there's no way to do it. They're dead and they have no relatives alive. So you're off the hook. God says, no, take what you were supposed to give to them and give it to the priest. Make sure you do something anyway. Um, you can't give it to them when you take what you were going to give to them and you take it and you give it to the priest. Um, but God wanted to make sure that they took those steps, that they acknowledged it, they confessed it and they made restitution and for them, that would have meant giving it to, uh, if they couldn't give it to the person, they gave it to the priest. Now, this next section here is, uh, it's one of those things, man, that um, if, if, if you didn't go through the Bible, every chapter, every verse, you would never probably come across this thing. Um, we're going to deal with jealousy, the spirit of jealousy. Uh, we're going to deal with, uh, they had a really interesting scenario in the Old Testament, uh, particularly during this era. If someone suspected that their spouse had been unfaithful, specifically here, the, a wife had been unfaithful, and the husband caught a spirit of jealousy, they were given some instructions what to do. And so I just thought I'd say this first of all about jealousy, right? Jealousy is, it's a really ugly thing, but sometimes jealousy is founded, sometimes it's unfounded. Everybody here knows some people that are just jealous, just cuz. They're not jealous because they've been cheated on. They're not jealous because they've been wrong. They're just jealous because they're jealous. They got insecurities, they got issues. Now other people are made to be jealous because they've been taken advantage of, they've been cheated on, they've had bad things happen and so therefore they become jealous. Um, we know that God is a jealous God. Um, that's part of his character, part of his nature. But jealousy in human beings can be a really ugly thing, uh, particularly if it's unfounded. And so. What God does here is says, look, I, I've dealt with issues that you're going to have with me. If you got uncleanness, you're going to get out of the camp till you get cleansed and come back so that we can be right. If you've got ought with one another, your brothers and sisters, you're going to acknowledge your sin, confess your sins and make restitution and get it right. You're going to be right with your brothers and sisters. Well, now he, he comes in a step further uh, because every community is made up of families and in, in God's economy, families are made up of marriages. And God says, look, if there's marital issues, um, it's going to be hard for us to move forward the way God wants us to. And so it gives us some instruction here what to do should this happen. So look at verses 11 through 15 with me first. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, if any man's wife goes astray and behaves unfaithfully towards him and a man lies with her carnally and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband and it is concealed that she has defiled herself and there was no witness against her, nor was she caught. If the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself. So, and in verse, um, verse 15, it says, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest. He shall bring the offering required for her, one-tenth of an ephah barley meal. He shall pour no oil on it and put no frankincense on it because it is a grain offering of jealousy. 
uh, offering for remembering, for bringing iniquity to remembrance. This is an interesting scenario here. Here's all the questions that people are going to have. How come it's the wife and not the husband? Um, didn't, you know, in that culture, didn't men cheat more than women? Um, why were the women brought forth? It, it, this is the way it was brought forth in this culture. I believe if it were to come forth today, we'd probably be looking at both people. But in this culture here, um, one of the things that would happen, because if a man's having children with a, a wife, and these children are going to be heirs to his throne or have things, if, if it was... If she had a child by someone else who was unfaithful like Gomer in the book of, of, of Hosea, um, then the child that's going to be, you know, all of his legacy is going to be left to is not his. Um, that was one reason why this was such a big deal because everything flowed through that way. And either way, the way that God set this thing up at the end of the scenario, it's going to be clear that either this man is jealous for nothing, insecure, and he's going to be molded. Or this woman is guilty and she's going to bear in her body uh, the penalty of her guilt. So um, verse 14 was interesting to me. The spirit of jealousy. Um, what is that? What's that mean? What does that look like? Um, when I think of the spirit of jealousy, this is something that's overtaken him. This man is not sleeping at night. This man is overtaken. He just, I know this is happening. And anybody here that's ever been in a relationship or been with someone jealous, um, it's just an ongoing thing. And if it's not true, it would be great to be vindicated. That, look, you know what, I, like, I guess today you can take a lie detector or you can do something to figure it out, you know. Back here, if, if, if you're just being, you know, accused or su suspected every day all the time, God said, look, we're going to settle this. Um, there's going to be unity in your home once again. There's going to be clarity. When, when you guys leave the priest today, we're going to know that you did it or you didn't do it. Um, and you guys will be able to go home in peace and that issue will be settled. And what was the heart behind all this, right? God says, before we move out to go out to do a work, you got to be right with me. You got to be right with each other. And as he, as it goes from him to one another and it comes all the way into the home and to the family. God, we got to be right before we step out. And I, I see this in even the work of ministry, right? We got to be tight. If, if, if the group that you're serving God with, you guys got to be right or the service is going to be effective. Right. If we're not on one accord, if we're not all of one heart, how are we going? There's already blemishes. There's already kinks in the armor. There's already a little gap for the enemy to slip into. Um, at least the group serving together needs to be linked up. And so God says, I, I want to take us to do a great work, but we got to be right. And so now he's dealing with the things that would cause them to not be right. And so this thing here, the spirit of jealousy, a husband suspecting that his wife had cheated. Now, here again, is something very interesting. Um, and I'm going to just explain it and we're going to read it. Um, something that they practiced back here was something called trial by ordeal. Um, a trial by ordeal was um, they practiced in the ancient Near East. The ordeal described a judicial situation um, where the, the accused were placed in the hand of God. So basically we bring something up, we bring it to the Lord and now we're like, now God... God's got to do something supernatural. There's going to be a supernatural manifestation to say right or wrong. You did it or you didn't do it. We brought it to, we brought it to the highest court possible. We brought it to the Lord by bringing it to the priest. And it's, it's, it's trial by ordeal. God's going to have to do something. All right, look at verse, um, look at, we'll start at verse 16. Um, we'll read down and I'll, I'll do my best to explain this to us as we go through it. Look at verse uh, 16 through 24. It says, and the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel 
and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. Then the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord, uncover the woman's head. And by uncovering her head, uh, it was putting her hair up in that culture. Only time, only people that would have seen a woman with her hair up or uncovered would have been family or a husband. It wasn't, as they were out and about, it was an uncommon thing. If a woman's hair was like that, you know that there was something wrong. Something was, either she was accused of something, guilty of something, so her hair is up in this way. Um, verse 18 again, then the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord, uncover the woman's head, put the offering for, the remember, for remembering in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy, and the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that brings a curse and the priest shall put her under an oath and say to the woman if no man has lain with you and if you have not gone astray to uncleanness while under your husband's authority be free from this bitter water that brings a curse but if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority and if you have defiled yourself and some other man than your husband has lain with you then the priest shall put the woman under the oath of the curse and he shall say to the woman, the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people. When the Lord makes your thigh rot and your belly swell, I'll come back and talk about that. And may this water that causes the curse go into your stomach, make your belly swell and your thigh rot. Then the woman shall say, amen, so be it. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book and he shall scrape them off into the bitter water and he shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse and the water that brings the curse shall enter her to become bitter. So this is what's happening here. Um, this woman that's been accused of cheating on her husband, she's brought to the priest. Um, the priest has dust from the tabernacle floor, from the, from the floor of the tabernacle, um, water that's been blessed, it's called holy water. He writes out this curse and then scrapes the letters off of the curse into the water to become bitter water. And then he makes her stand there, her hair is uncovered, and she takes the oath. He says, ask her straight up, if you have you laying with another person, if you have, um, then this is going to curse you and your belly's going to swell and your thigh is going to rot. Again, I'll come back and explain what that's all talking about. I don't think no woman wants their belly to swell, but we'll talk about what that's talking about. So, um, and if not, then she's going to be vindicated. These things are not going to take place. Um, and again, I read this. I read this and just thought like, man, why? Why all this? You know, what, what's, the, what's the point? What's the, what's, first of all, what's the heart behind all of this? And again, once again, God wants things to be settled, right? At the end of this day, let's say that this guy has been jealous for two, three, five years. You, where you been? Where'd you go? You didn't just go to the well. You, you were talking to that man with the camels. You know, just, I mean, it, it could have been just an ongoing thing, just nagging her to death. And if she's innocent, you know, I mean, if I was her, I, just, just, can we go to the priest? Can we just go get this settled once and for all? And you could look like the fool in front of everybody in the community again, because it's done in front of everybody. And so if it's the man's fault, he's going to look like quite the insecure fool. Because the whole community is there, the priests are there, everybody's there, and it'll be proven in that day that, man, what's wrong with you? Why you keep dragging your wife down here? And next time you're at home having some thoughts, you need to deal with yourself. That's one part of what could be happening. But if indeed over here, the brother caught a spirit of jealousy because there is something going on, and he just can't prove it, he doesn't know, then he about to know on this day. And... 
I can't imagine that for the woman, like if she did it and she's standing there and she has to say amen to this, so be it. Um, my, my thinking says that, that she would probably at that point would say, okay, 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 I did it, you know. Um, and everybody know what the penalty was for cheating on your husband back then? It was death. So it was going to be bad, you know, um, and maybe that why, that's why something like that would be concealed. But God said, look, I don't want that in the camp of Israel either. I don't want unfaithfulness. I don't want there to be jealousy, undue jealousy. I don't want people jealous without cause. I want there to be unity in the community of God. This is wrecking the unity, this jealous thing. And so we're going to deal with it. It's going to be settled once and for all. So I spent quite a bit of time. I read a whole bunch of people and I was really trying to come to a conclusion and an understanding of what it meant for her belly to swell and her thigh to rot. When you first read it, I think maybe the penalty, I mean, wouldn't that be a cold penalty for a woman? Your belly's just going to swell. You're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to look pregnant, but you're not going to be pregnant. Now, the ultimate thing is you, as we read on, is that she's going to be, uh, there's going to be infertility. She's not going to be able to, she's going to be barren from that point on. If she's guilty, there'll be no more children flowing out of her. That's the, that's the end result of it all. But um, this is what I came up with. And I, I did, I dug, you guys. I was like, Lord, what is, I don't want to tell people wrong stuff. I, I don't want to say, I don't want to sit up here and tell y'all she's going to get fat and her thigh's going to rot out if that's not exactly what's going to happen. So this is what I came up with. Um, first of all, the just looking up the words, um, thigh, you look it up in the Hebrew, it's uh, betan or B-E-T-N, betan. It's, it means womb or internal parts. So uh, when it says her thigh is going to rot, it's speaking of her reproductive organs. They're not going to be, they're gonna, it's going to die. It's not going to be useful anymore, uh, which, which goes along with, with, with the rest of the verse says that they'll be, still be sterile. Um, when it says the word rot, uh, it's the Hebrew word nafal, it means to die or to perish. And essentially it's saying that your reproductive system is going to perish. Um, you're not going to be able to have any kids. Now, it sounds in our words a lot worse. I, I read that and I just say, man, your belly's going to swell, your thigh's going to rot. But basically what it means is your, your body's going to, your internal reproductive whatever is going to just die on the inside of you. Now, another book that I read, now these are just suggestions. They, they're not actual, uh, but I will give them to you anyway. These were some of what they suggested the swollen belly uh, was result from. Um, a flooded uterus a false pregnancy, a pelvic prolapse, a atrophied genitalia, um, all these things would result also in someone being sterile. So the bottom line is, you didn't want to be guilty of this. Right? You, didn't want to be, you didn't want to be cheating on your spouse and you didn't want to be brought forth. What's the application for you and I here in this? Again, we've already talked about being faithful to God. We've talked about being right with our brothers and sisters. And for everybody here that's blessed to be in a marriage relationship, we live in a culture today that has so little value on marriage. They place it so small that Christians even begin to take on the attitude of the world about marriage. And Christians are, it's, we're not, I mean, we're, it's, it's the, the failure in marriage rate within the church, those that claim to be Christians, is so close to those that don't even claim to know God that it's embarrassing. Now, I know that a lot of those that are saying that are not really Christians, but it's still embarrassing that it's so common. So 
One of the things that we can take from this is this, that part of our walk with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord, if you're blessed to be married, your walk with God is part of, your, your marriage is part of your walk with the Lord. Um, before you get married, that's when you got all of the options and choices. Rather, you decide, I don't really like that. Well, I think I do want that. I don't really want, I won't deal with that. I don't want to put up with that. You have all the freedom in the world when you're single to say, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm passing. I pass on you. Goodbye. When you're single, you get, nope, I'm not putting up, nope, nah, nah, I'm coming. You can go out on two dinner dates and say, mm, nah, not, not, not my kind, not my speed. You can change your mind like that. But once you say, I do, once you walk down an aisle and you stand before God and people and you, 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 you enter into a covenant agreement with God and man, you can't just decide that I'm not happy no more. This is what people say today. Um, God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy with this person. So I think God wants it to be over because I'm not happy. That's not biblical. That's not Bible. Find me that verse. God wants me to be happy. That's first self. Chapter 1, verse 2, right? It's not in your Bible. It's not there. Um, doesn't exist. God, God's not encouraging us to that. You know, what's gonna, you know, you know how a marriage is going to work? You're going to have two people that get good at dying to themselves. Because in a marriage, you're going to die to yourself a lot. You're going to die to yourself to please them. And they're going to have to die to themselves sometimes to please you. And that's how a marriage can be good and work and last. Two people that commit. I'm going to keep my commitment to my vow to God. And sometimes I'm going to die to myself. To love this other person. That's how it works. So in this situation here, we got someone that potentially been unfaithful in their marriage, didn't honor God, didn't honor their spouse. Um, or we have someone who's untrusting of their spouse, which is unfair, but it's not founded. In either case, a guy that's insecure and jealous without cause, or there's a spouse that's been unfaithful and tormenting their spouse through that. In either case, God wants it to be dealt with and cleared up that people can move forward in a right way. And so this is the application for us married people. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't be jealous for nothing. If you're insecure, you need to figure out what's wrong with you. You need to deal with yourself. I do know some people that are just insecure for nothing. No one's ever cheated on them. There's no just cause for the suspicions and whatnot. And um, if that's you, you really need to take that before the Lord and say, God, what's wrong with me? Why do I behave in that way? That doesn't honor you and it torments my spouse unduly, unfair. What an uncomfortable marriage to be in with someone that's always accusing you of doing something you didn't do. That's terrible. And so for them here, God said, I want to settle that once and for all so that it's not there. And this is what I tell people when I sit down with a couple and someone's been jealous. And I say, OK, have you ever accused them of something and then found out you were wrong? Yeah. How many times? Let me hear about one instance. Let me hear about another instance. Let me hear about another. So I said, at that point, we know you don't have discernment and you've been wrong enough times to now it's not valid. You need to shut up. You need to not say anything. When you have a thought like that, you need to take those thoughts captive and bring them obedient to Jesus. Something's wrong with you. It's, un it's, it's, it's been proven multiple times that it's not right. You need to deal with that. Flip the coin over. I've also been in a counseling office where someone is convinced. I know what I know what I just, I just don't know what it is. They're just convinced that something's going on and then something was going on. And they were tormented by just, just having a sense that this person has given themselves to someone else and something's not right. And they were tormented by it. And then finally to find out, see, I knew it. And there's proof. In either case, these are people that are not honoring God and not honoring their marriage. So my encouragement to us, body of believers, for you married people, that we would obviously honor God by honoring our spouses. That we'd be faithful in our marriages 
that we wouldn't seek any fulfillment in a relational way outside of the covenant the person God gave you. If you're in a rough marriage, if you're in a marriage that's in a tough place, that you would fight for your marriage, that you battle, that you get good at dying to yourself. Do your part. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Numbers, well, it has a lot of numbers, but there's much more in this book than that. During their long, drawn-out journey, the Israelites' faith in God is tested. In return, these wayward people test God's patience towards them, but God remains faithful and true in looking out for His chosen people. When you think about it, it's no different today. People disobey and test God's patience, while they also endure hardships and challenges that they wouldn't have desired. But in all, God remains faithful through and through. If you missed any part of this series in the book of Numbers, you can hear these messages by going to CalvaryInglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our service times are on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Numbers, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You might be surprised by how things in this book might apply to the very things you're working through in your own life. So be sure to join us again to hear and be challenged by a transforming word.